Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 113. Is buying and holding the best investment strategy? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. Today, European DJI and I will discuss whether buying and holding a company is the best overall investment strategy. All that and more. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJI. How are you this weekend, buddy? really really good thank you for asking i mean the weather is really like just just like humid and rain but it's really nice after all the drought we saw over the last weeks right so autumn is officially starting here and on top of that i actually ha had no clue before we started our podcast preparation like how the markets were doing because i had just no time and isn't long-term investment buy and hold investing let's say isn't it a great investment strategy because you can just sleep well at night well, well, that's the question: Is buying and holding a good investment strategy? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that, but I 100% agree. I I really love this strategy, the uh, dividend growth investing, because most of the time, I don't have to give two shits what's going on in the market. I don't have to check it. I, I don't really care. Only if I'm podcasting or writing something is is when I check it mainly. But this week, I haven't checked it once. I I honestly even now I don't know if the markets went up or went down or how my portfolio is actually doing all i know that dividends keep keep rolling on in and that's that's all that matters to me um yeah but same same here um but i believe from what i uh, understood because i did check a little bit more and didn't go like first two days down and then three days up something like that but anyway people <laughs> that are listening <laughs> they will think like what <laughs> what are idiots they have no clue what's going on in the market but <laughs> guys you know our dividends are growing that's what we know with our quarterly updates so so maybe we should start a little bit then with the news of the week because i think in the united kingdom something happened there yeah queen elizabeth sadly passed away and I, I mean she lived quite a long time for 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 the queen and the whole of the uk is pretty much shut down i, I i'm upset but i'm only upset because football has has been stopped this this weekend but i i know there's some uk listeners here that probably have some affinity to to the queen more so than than us over here in Ireland, but it's look, it's it's huge news. Uh, King Charles, I think, it, as he's called now, is now is now in there. So, ch changing times, but I mean, over nearly a well, she 90, 90, 90 odd years of age. Yeah, ninety six or something like that. She's been born four years before Warren Buffett uh, got born. Wow, it's it's crazy, isn't it? How how, how long she's actually been in that position? Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe actually think like, how do you sustain uh, your health like that, right? We see with Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, probably they're mm -hmm. rich and having a doctor check checking them up every month. Money helps, yes. Yeah, money but, helps. But I mean, what's it like? I, I, I'm always curious. What's it like in Central Europe or, or even over as far as you guys? I mean, it, does this hit the news? Is it talked about? Yeah, it? it's all the time in the news. Today, I was watching a bit of the telly when I was at my family. It was turned on there and. 
you saw on the like just all-time live coverage of how many flowers are in front of the palace there and such so i mean i i like royals and such i i think it gives europe something special still this this a little bit romantic history let's say probably it's a bloody uh bloody history as well but i i kind of like it monarch i come from the netherlands i have nothing against it i mean it's ceremonial it gives you king's day in the netherlands always a great party uh, Charles, you know, with this Diana and uh, Camilla, that's always an, uh, a special story. But I mean, give it to the guy. Uh, he's still living at home at 73. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mother is controlling who he dates with and who he screws with. I mean, uh, the ultimate you know. foyer strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, but hey, uh, I hope there will be some football next weekend, right? Because I would love to see Manchester United, Dutch coach right now. It's doing quite okay. Liverpool, not so well, I saw. So, uh, yeah, well, do, you know, do you know what? We we need the break. <laughs> We've been that bad. But no, there's no football this weekend or next weekend. Because I think the funeral is oh, fuck. Monday Monday week. So, there'll be no football in, in, in that time period. But look, uh, for UK listeners, those that have been affected by this, uh, look, sorry if you're lost, but over here in Ireland, we have no real affinity to to the queen it's 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 not a big deal for for us, us guys over here and uh, honestly i don't understand i know you you think it's romantic having monarchs i don't understand the whole point of them i really don't they should sit there on their thrones and get loads of money i, I don't get it but hey <laughs> fair play to them let's talk about europe I'm, I'm more interested in europe there's lots going on as usual we know we have this ukraine conflict ongoing and the, the consequences of that so we're starting to see obviously high inflation which we speak about quite a bit and the ecb then are trying to combat that aren't they so they're, they are now increasing interest rates up 75 basis points yeah and, and and that's amazing right but it gives me a bit of a bad feeling as well because i believe at the same time we're still sponsoring like countries like italy and such so it's not, not nothing against italy but I don't understand the monetary policy that we're doing in Europe. Look at, look at, um, I said the Fed. They're probably already going to four percent anytime soon. Yeah. Why are we always so late in Europe? What, what is it? Because what I like in America is that you really have these boom and bust cycles, and they just, you know, get onto it straight away. But there's always in Europe something that we we are so slow when it comes to this. And from that point of view, it's not that the ECB has such a different target than the Fed, right? And I really don't understand it. I mean, we're talking here about an average of 8.1% inflation for this year, what they're expecting. And then they come with a 0.75% interest rate going forward. I mean, what are we talking about? It's still a spread of like 7.3%. It makes no sense to me, really no sense. Yeah, but it's a little more complicated in Europe than, than America. America is one big giant country. They can They can do what they want. We've got lots and lots of different member states, all with their own ideas and their own place. Obviously, Germany and France are probably the strongest. And then you have Italy and Spain who are laggards. And you have people like Ireland who are like little kids who just you know, strangle along and, and just do whatever keeps their daddy happy. But, I mean, it, it's just so complicated over here. It does take time to move the needle, which is probably why we're slower. And then we always wait to see what America does. And we probably sit back and go, OK, let's give it six months. Let's see how it goes for these guys. And if it works, we'll copy it. I mean, that's that's how I feel well, sometimes. But in the meanwhile, the euro went nowhere. Yeah, it's so weak at the moment, and and yeah. this could have been prevented at least to some extent by acting a little bit quicker. And I really feel like we, we need to start moving as Europe because we're we're just making a fool of ourselves. And and secondly, 
we're we're just going more and more into poverty because for us you know with our portfolio it's quite okay right as long as we have a job but think about the lower class uh yeah. income people in, in europe this will be so so hard they will need not be able to keep up do you really think that they're all go going to get an 8.1 percent salary hike this year no of no, course not. not i mean and and that's the average remember that's the average, yeah, the average. there's some a lot of places actually quite worse than that and I, I feel I feel for lower income are, are even worse those that that don't have income that are relying on state sponsorship to to get by. I mean it's it's a tough it's a tough time and, and we're only starting like you you mentioned it the rain is here. Luckily it's not cold it's quite humid but another two or three months that rain will be here but it'll also be cold and then people have to heat their homes and and they might not be able to to do that. But actually I think that leads in nicely. We're talking about heating. Europe are trying to. I don't know if if they're going to get get away with it or actually do it, but they're trying to put a cap, aren't they, on energy energy prices? Yeah, yeah. So so that's at least what the European Union was trying to do um, this week. I mean, they they I saw that they were getting closer and closer to a deal, but still, few countries are not agreeing. They would like to make their own deals when it comes to prices, also for Russian gas and such. So, but we need it in the in the upcoming winter because if we are really going to Pay the market prices i think this inflation will really really hurt a lot and you know what what will happen is a really in my opinion it's really simple right if my energy bill doubles let's say like that i have less money to spend on other things yeah and in this case i will also prefer uh, prefer to keep my sa savings rate the same so there are people without a savings rate and they will either go into debt or they will save even stronger to the bone yeah so but anyway we will see probably people spending less and i think this is a really big risk for the uh, for the economy overall um, and for the companies that we own as well of course we do our due diligence we have companies with good balance sheets and such but now is also still the time to look a little bit at the risk in your portfolio i think to see if there are really some bad actors in there because sometimes it sneaks in right after several good years but i think it's going to be a really uh, tough one and yeah, I actually, I'm not so optimistic for the stock market, to be honest. Um, I think really we're going to see some bad, bad weather in the uh, economy. Yeah, I, I think so. And th there's really two perspectives, isn't there, to this energy price ceiling. Uh, you mentioned UK to me off air, and I just had a quick look. I, I didn't hear UK were trying to do some sort of profit share on you know, taking some of the profits and, and giving it back. But you've got the consumer side, which obviously they want to protect. But then I also read <laughs> was reading an article where they are saying, okay, we don't know if we want to do that. We have to protect investors. So you've got you got two sides. So from an investor point of view, they're okay, keep raising the prices, buddy. <laughs> we'll keep taking profits, we'll keep keep doing keep taking as much money as we can. And then on the other side, as a consumer, you're probably taking those profits and, and paying them out. So there's there's definitely a balance there that you can keep both investors happy and and consumers happy but but getting that is probably not going to be as straightforward as as we would like yeah these are the times that capitalism is being uh, tested because for instance let's let's say like that i've got red electrica and Enegas, yeah in my portfolio yeah. if the spanish government would just take all the profits out it would be the nail in the coffin for 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 these kinds of public companies right i mean they will not go of course down but they will be them forever and there is already 
uh, there, there will always be a cap on the multiple that uh, investors want to pay for such a company, right? And yeah. it is already there, but will only get worse. And it's the same with UK companies if they do something like that. And yeah, these are the times we will see how strong cap the capitalistic ideology is in Europe. Yeah, look, it's. I think we've been saying it. It's it's going to be a tough winter. There's lots lots to do. I mean, I, this market is a little bit all over the place, and I, I see a lot of pain coming in in the next few months. But oh, who knows? Who knows? Things things change quite quickly, and we we will see. But buy and hold is that the best investment strategy? I mean, we we hear lots of quotes. There's lots of talks. Buy companies, forget about them. But does that actually? Does that actually work? Uh, if it actually works, I mean, buy and hold for a long time can definitely work really well. But I mean, do you know companies that were existing, let's say, 300 years ago that you can still, as a dividend growth investor, buy that have been growing the dividends? Probably not, mm -hmm. right? So to some extent, the hold part uh, is probably not not working. Yeah. So, and, and we have some examples here and, and you know, Think about IBM. Is this a buy and hold company? What do you think? I mean, they would have been, wouldn't they? They were. They were always touted. They had a great dividend history, uh, always increasing, and they were on the up from for many many years. And then, boom, 2012 happens. Even maybe before that, and you can just see that they are declining, declining, declining. If if you I don't know went into a coma in 2012 and woke up today and had a look at where they were, you would probably be a little bit disappointed and maybe surprised at how how badly they're actually doing so it's, it's quite it's quite hard i mean the economy business technology is changing so fast maybe maybe 50 years ago it was easier for a company to, to come in and sustain for 20 30 years but with the rate of technology these days it's probably a lot a lot harder to even sustain 10 years let alone 50 years 100 years let me challenge you there a little bit because their dividends have been growing but are they safe i mean look i i have I have their financials up here in front of me their free cash flow is declining um their revenue is declining their profit margins are actually pretty okay uh, they've actually increased earnings per share declining so they have all the hallmarks that they are declining so how safe is that dividend yeah yeah, that's a, it, it is in general a good question, right? Because if you look at Microsoft, it had something similar over 10 years, right? When uh, was the Steve Ballmer, uh, what was his name? Um, Ballmer, yeah. Ballmer. Yeah. They, they had a decade where Microsoft went nowhere and their business went nowhere. You know, more and more people shif shifting to MacBooks instead of, for instance, Windows machines. And, you know, they initiated a dividend as well to start compensating shareholders. So, you know there are companies that just have a decade decade long headwinds right we we can see something like intel at the moment they are really trying to reinvest into the business and and, and taking some some hits right now to to free up their cash flow actually for investment so i mean this can happen to happen to any company a ten, decade long uh, let's say decline or headwinds so how do you know then uh, what to do I mean, we are long-term investors. Yeah, we, we really believe in our companies, right? Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up Intel because I think that's a, a great comparison to IBM. So I, I just mentioned IBM. Everything is declining. Free cash flow, revenue, earnings. Everything everything seems to be on, on the way down. Debt is increasing. 
we know Intel is going through a turnaround, but let's have a look at the revenue increasing. A little bit slower over the last four or five years, but still increasing. You look at the free cash flow, guess what? It has doubled in that time, in that same time period. Their dividends is increasing, their free cash flow is increasing. So they are losing market share because it is a lot more competitive, but the market share is also getting bigger. So even though, even though they are losing market share, there's still a bigger market out there so they're able to to make that up so comparing ibm and intel i think is pretty good in this scenario you've got one declining in in all aspects you've got one that is trying to turn around but actually the financials are pretty pretty good so i know which one i would rather hold on to in this scenario yeah i think that's also the difference for me because what i see with IBM is a management culture that's kind of in denial. They've, they've been rewarding themselves as a board of directors more than the shareholders. They spun yep. off uh, one of the businesses, Kindro. Um, but I think it's just Red Hat that is pulling the company forward now, right? And Pat Gelsinger from Intel is really trying to turn the ship like aggressively. He's not waiting because he knows that's going nowhere. And uh, the market decline, share decline that we're seeing there is really still because of Bob Swan, the predecessor who was more cash flow oriented and, and let's say uh, short term cash flow oriented and not long term. So that's what yeah. they're really trying to change. But, you know, how do you know whether to sell, for instance, then Intel or IBM? I would sell a, a IBM based on everything declining. I don't see, see any Red Hat is their only, as you said, their only chink in their armor, but it's not big enough to drive a company of that size. It's not generating enough income to, to really sustain that company for a long period. So it's it's a no-brainer for me with Intel. The harder one would have been Microsoft 10 years ago. We know we are so bullish on, on Microsoft mm -hmm. now. They're pretty much everywhere. But they, as you said, they went through a period, I mean, the last decade, as, as they probably call it, where they were flat, they were going nowhere, they weren't really innovative, they had windows pcs but not not a whole lot else in that period i probably would have been a seller of microsoft nobody could have envisaged what they were going to achieve or what they were going to do so you're probably looking at them in that time period you would be a seller and maybe start buying them again when when as the new ceo comes in and we start we start changing but that would have definitely been a harder call i think than what we're seeing in, in ibm yeah, because if you look at Microsoft's history, it would actually justify a buy and hold strategy. Even IBM at the moment, they didn't cut the dividend yet, right? So who knows whether we will see something like happening like with Microsoft? It it does it does just it does justify it. But imagine you're coming to retirement in those ten years. Would you say it justified it then? Um, I honestly don't know because I don't mm. have a reference point there. But I think. What it is about is just that buy and hold for me is definitely the preference, really yeah. the preference. But I guess my strategy has been more buy and observe. But this observe is a really tricking one because we all know that if you handle your, your portfolio like a bar of soap, just the commissions will already uh, lower it, right? And you you might end up selling your seller and buying it buying losers back or the way around right even go from loser to even more loser so it is for me therefore more buy and observe but then the question is really when to sell i think that's really the key then i, I look i think we can both agree always 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 sell based on fraud i think that's a that's a no-brainer yeah once, once you yeah. see once you see fraud within a company it's dead it's it's time to it's time to sell it and move on but other than that, 
and I think again Microsoft is always a good example would it have been a good time to sell that during the last decade so what what would you consider what would you consider selling a company I would say litigation maybe mm -hmm. so like then, 3m like 3m so are you, you're holding on to 3m at the moment are you I ha I haven't had a chance to think about it last week but um, I'm really considering to sell um I, I I'm starting to learn about litigations and I'm starting to spot more like what good and bad litigations are like what Johnson Johnson did they handled quickly and came with a good outcome the buyer went nowhere in the last four or five years I'm still stuck with it and I, I regret it to some extent and I'm just now thinking it at it from a value point of view dividend kind of safe around the underlying business is uh, growing I, you know and and with 3m I really need to assess and 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 Russ from Depa dividends did a really good YouTube video about this one he looked at the extreme point of view yeah. how it could look like and you know it is painful to take uh, to cut your losses as well yeah and, and 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 such and it has a five percent yield now so i would also take a hit in my projected annual dividend income probably um but i'm 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 biased but my leaning i'm leaning into at least selling a bit of it uh here yeah. at 3m yeah no, i i watched ross's video which is good and, and ian lopak also did a video on it which was also good but for me look we, we we spoke about buyers so much and and i think if we if I don't learn, you know, if you just stay static and, yeah. and we, we we always look back and say, oh, we had buyer and now we had 3M, the warning signs were there, we, we should have sold, yeah. but we didn't. So for me, it's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm selling right now. Um, not until this litigation is done and dusted will I consider putting them into yeah. my portfolio. I, they're dropping in price to get 120, to get to 110. And honestly, it's hard because in, in the back of your mind, okay, they're a dividend king. They've, they're such a big company. They've got hundreds and thousands of products used worldwide that i use daily i mean I've, yeah. I, I still i use them earplugs I'm, I'm on nights i use the i use earplugs to go sleep we have in work there's so many products that we use so you think from a product standpoint they can't go out of business right then Ian Lopuk said something really interesting to me he said he used to think that all having all those products was great diversification now he just sees lots of different ways to get sued <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you know and, and, and that kind of stuck out to me but for me until that litigation is done and dusted and until we have some real outcome i mean the price is not going to shoot up 100 euro overnight once the, the litigation is done once there's a deal yes jump 10 10 15 maybe 20 percent that'll still be a good time for me to get in on them but i'm learning from buyer uh, litigation is never good there's a lot of money involved in the table the dividend you cannot say is safe there's a lot of no there's a lot of lobbying going on even to get the dividend cancelled there's, there's a lot of pressure on this company at the moment so i'm i sold you you know i sold and yeah i will not i will not be buying until litigation is done and dusted yeah and you brought up another good topic and that's uh when i would strongly consider selling as a dividend cut and mm. in the majority of times i've done it i think we spoke enough about that on the podcast that we did it one time not and that was with shell because it felt like the right decisions of management being proactive but other than that i usually usually sell when a company is cutting their dividend because it usually also comes together with a lot of effectively a whole shit storm right and usually it's because the fundamentals are weakening and such and there's no prospect on on on, on a quick return 
Now, for me, this was really different with Shell. I mean, it was rock bottom. We, I, I know the oil industry a little bit. I knew it would, would not stay there for long, and I knew that the cash flows would return uh, to Shell anytime soon. Um, but other than that, I usually sell also after a dividend cut. Yeah, dividend cut is is tough, and sometimes companies uh, they're in trouble they need to, it makes sense to cut the dividend i mean they, they can only pay out so much cash and it makes no sense that if they need that cash to, to sometimes pay it out and in times like when you have the pandemic or even oil crisis you can understand it but it's when they cut a dividend when everything seems rosy in the market that's when i'm a little bit more concerned when there's no catalyst there to to help you cut a dividend if you're just cutting it because look your fundamentals are getting worse that's when I have a real, real problem with it. Um, Shell was was a little bit different, as as you touched on, but then Disney. I, I didn't understand why yeah. Disney had to cut it. And for me, that was... Um, I, I didn't understand it, so we, we got rid of them. Um, it felt like the wrong decision at the time. And it, it didn't feel like the wrong decision, but I remember they they transformed into this growth company that were quite popular on Twitter and they they nearly doubled in share price. I had people pinging me left, right and centre asking me did I regret it. I've always said no and now the share price is actually below where I sold them. So, I mean, that tells its own story as well. Will, yeah, they, will, they, pay, will they pay a dividend again? I, I honestly think so. I mean, I think they're a, a great company. they got good products. Disney Plus is uh, Disney. Is it Disney Plus? Uh, yeah, it's doing a, a lot better than actually anticipated. Um, they got parks, they got a whole brand, they got the Marvel Universe, they got so much going for it. I think it's a, a really nice company. But unfortunately, that dividend cut made me maybe stay stay away from. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, the even even if you compare Disney and Shell at that time, Shell is what way higher in share price and just outperforming from a total return point of view as yeah. well. Yeah, so so you know it, it just shows that I think there's a really good case to be made for buy and observe with a long time mindset, long term mindset, but really be clear on your on your selling rules. And I, we all know that price anchoring is really difficult when selling. So I'm I'm also suffering sometimes from that um but yeah it's on my desk now to to consider what to do with 3m um, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll i'll let my followers know anytime soon once i've made up my decision the good thing is you don't need to do this decision like overnight yeah of course i shouldn't it shouldn't take a month either but i think this week i should be able to to make my mind yeah to make up my mind it's it's hard though isn't it because everyone has such rigid rules okay we buy a company at this yield this price or and so on and, and we sell at this price but in reality that never happens you can you can write all the rules but as people we have emotions we get attached yes we say we say we don't but we do but, you know intel is is a prime example um it's a company that i've been i've been following for quite a while i, I was lucky i bought them quite low i sold them what appeared to be the top and i bought another i think i had i actually around three or four months ago i set a price limit for thirty dollars, I honestly did not think it would get there. I think it was twenty shares or something like that, and that triggered two days ago. I got a notification on that, so they're, they're trading around thirty dollars, which I thought wasn't possible at the time. But that just goes to show how like, they could easily drop to twenty from here. Yeah, I, and on the other hand, I can take some losses for tax tax harvesting on three M, and you know it's now four point eight four percent in yield. 
and redeploy it in realty income at 4.45% in yield. And if, if you just think about already like this, I know that in my opinion, realty income is a little bit overvalued, but if you just think about yield, how much more peace in mind realty income gives, you know, they have all the rent escalators in, in there as well. I mean, yeah. going from a, a lay, lie awake at night to sleep well at night, th yeah. th that's the difference between the two at a similar yield almost. We, we, we have an example of, yes, why we should buy and hold here. And one of them is Johnson & Johnson. And that's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because definitely over the last 50 years, that's a no-brainer, yes, buy and hold. But let's look at what the management are doing now. They are now spinning off the consumer part of their business and changing it into a pure play biotech company. There's risk there. So is buy and hold a great strategy for them going forward? That that's that's a tricky tricky question. Yeah, I, I would say just in general, right? At a certain moment, your company becomes so big that you might have consumed the whole market or whatever it is, and you need to all the time restructure yourself. And I think Abbott and and Abfi is a really nice uh, example where they just spin off the bus businesses, split it up, and. It took it looked like a dividend cut, but if you would have kept your shares, up the shares, you would have been growing the dividend still today. And I think this is what probably happens when when companies become large. You really need to start spinning off and 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 acquiring new kinds of companies to reinvent yourself. And I think that's the only way to kind of grow your dividend. And I'm talking here about multi decades, right? Um, here. And and you hear Buffett also always talking about like at a certain moment it becomes hard to to beat the index yeah. as an example and you 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 go more in line with the economy. So I think this is really the key here. If you think about Philips, right, uh, the Dutch one, how much has spun off over the years and how well those companies have been doing, also from a dividend growth point of view, and and they can live on their own again, right, without being too big and and acquiring companies again and. I think that's the key here. That's really the key, and key, and this is what you see too little at companies like IBM, and also a little bit too little for me at Johnson Johnson at the moment. Yeah, Siemens is another good example as well. Yeah, they, proactive they, in this, really proactive. Yeah, yeah. actually, that the, the companies we mentioned have been two European companies, so maybe maybe European companies <laughs> are better at this than than our American counterparts. Yes, true. All those Siemens uh, cut their dividend with it, right? And Siemens Energy didn't give a dividend. So, you know, it's, it's a case to be made for both sides. Good. Shall we go to some of the listeners' questions? Yeah, sure. Cool. So the first one is from Dividend Newbie, and actually a few of the stocks that we spoke about. So he's asking 3M, Johnson Johnson, and AT&T have all been cornerstone dividend stocks in the past years but all are in various degrees of change that have or could threaten their blue chip status. In 10 years, what companies do you believe will be the cornerstones for dividend investors? Yeah, I think you're looking at technology stocks like like your Microsoft, like Visa maybe. Um, I know they're low yielding, but they pay good, they pay dividends with, with decent hikes as well. So I'm thinking more, more technology, but it's it, it's hard maybe there's some consumer staples in there as well that just that that you always need um walmart target those type of companies i hold delhazy in, in europe uh, yeah. unilever um so i would imagine those those types of companies but it's it's i mean we just discussed it there it's, it's so hard it's so hard to do that part, part of my 
you know, I started blogging again, I do my watch list and, and part of getting onto my watch list is just based on fundamentals. But now before I buy, I want to have a clear catalyst in my mind. So uh, companies need to have a competitive advantage for me to, to want to invest in them. And that competitive advantage, I wanted to see at least five or 10 years down the road. That's hard. And not every company is going to, not every company is going to have that, but that's, that's what I would like. But for now, I would stick to, to someone like Microsoft would, would, for me, be a cornerstone. Uh, Tro, maybe another one. Um, Texas Instruments is is another one. I know Tro is not technology, yeah. but um, SaaS management. But so, in my opinion, just all companies with very strong balance sheets that are part of a growing, uh, growing market will probably end up in many cornerstones. Uh, portfolios the issue just is that they are highly priced now so i don't know how many of those companies you will actually find in people's uh, dividend portfolios at that time so that's a tricky one uh, it's also the risk of value investing that you buy a lot of stocks that with problems specifically in these times and even if the market will go down if you're chasing yield it will probably continue like that so i would say generally i think you made a good point consumer staples and technology companies that have large lock-ins yeah so think think for instance also yeah. about salesforce it's not easy to get rid of your salesforce uh, implementations yeah the same as what we have seen with sap so i think such companies might be a cornerstone uh, portfolio but for that first the market needs to come significantly down for for comp yeah for us it, for, to become uh, interesting again um, Gordon has asked us, uh, he's in the red, like probably most of us, with companies such as Venovia, ASML, Verizon, 3M, and Intel. Which one would you feel comfortable buying to average down? Keep it up. Love the podcast. Um, so the only high-quality stock in here is ASML, like when we talk about real high-quality uh, the others all have significant risk associated. So 3M, I would definitely not buy now, rather sell. Intel, I think it depends on how much you have and how bullish you are on their future. I think it's trading at an attractive value right now. I found it already attractive at 40s. So in the low 30s, it's even more attractive. But uh, like you and I, we really, really accumulate slowly in this stock because we know it's going through a rough period. And we said a year ago, it will take at least two years. So that's also my mental model. I, I bought only a, s a certain amount of the total position size that I want. Fenovia, there's something that just, I'm staying away from it. Uh, I don't need it in my portfolio. I've got Castellum already, Realty Income, Omega Healthcare. I feel comfortable with all three companies, more comfortable compared to Fenovia. So yeah, that, that's it, I would say. Yeah, I know ASML are struggling, but they have lots of orders on back order, don't they? So the, the, the revenue streams are quite, seem to be quite secure. And it's something, that company is needed. We, we need that company to, to provide the test equipment for a growing semiconductor industry. I mean, that company is needed. The rest of them, I mean, Venovia, you know, interest rates, politics in Germany, it's 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 quite tough. I ended up selling Venovia there quite quite a while ago because I, I just did not know enough about the market. There's lots of risks. I've got some German friends telling me a little bit about the risks, but ultimately I didn't understand enough. And if I if I can't understand it, I can't hold on to it for the long term because you you need to have confidence in a company to, to hold it for, for that long. Um, 
the other three three M I gave my opinion on earlier. Um Verizon and Intel. I mean, I don't think Verizon are going anywhere. It's a it's a telecommunication company, a little bit like AT&T. You know what you're gonna get. They're huge hugely leveraged. I think their debt level is nearly as big as AT&T, if not more, if I remember correctly. Um that would obviously be a concern, but look, you're guaranteed revenues and, and cash flow. So you, you kind of know what you're going to get, but little to no growth. I mean, their dividend increase again was 2%. I think it's like been 2% for the last five or six years or, or so on, maybe. Um, little to no growth in share appreciation. So there's there's, there's very little growth there. And, and Intel, as we spoke about, is more of a turnaround play. Um, so for me, I would be comfortable averaging down on ASML. Well, I don't have any shares of them, so I won't be averaging down, but also Intel. Um, but Intel, knowing the risk that this is a turnaround play, might not necessarily be a dividend play, um, but we will see. I think all the tools are there for them to to actually to actually do, do quite well. We're in a difficult period as well. The whole semiconductor industry is in a difficult period, um, but who knows, three years' time, we could be sitting here, they could be sitting back at $60, $60 per share, and I'll be a happy man. Um, Martin, Martin has asked us, uh, have either of you ever tried to ask back the excess dividend tax from Switzerland under the double taxation treaty? I, I haven't done so yet. I have some Swiss stocks, but I believe you can do it every four years. So next year will be my turn that I will do it for the first time. Um, I have heard mixed mixed things uh, about it. I believe if you're in Germany, it's quite easy because they have a close relationship with each other. Um, but I will definitely try it as well. And then Maite, I will let you know. Maite, if you need more information, ping me. Um, maybe we can look it up together. And then I can also add Switzerland to my blog because I've got one blog article about all the uh, dividend taxes and how to request it and the forms and such. So. Um, reach out to me and let's uh, see if we can add together Switzerland here. Yeah, I, I stay away from Swiss, Swiss stocks, I was hard to say. <laughs> I stay away from some of the stocks in that company purely because of the, the taxation. And I know you can claim back, but honestly, I'm investing so little on a relative basis that it's probably not worth my while to do that. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to, to do that. And for a couple of euro here and there, it's probably not. If I was investing maybe a lot more money, tens and thousands, I would consider because there's some great companies there. Like Roche, for example, I would love to own Roche, but I just don't. Um, but the tax really scares me off. I really hope that Europe implements like a, a European Panway tax tax agreement where we all pay the same tax and that's it. I would really love that. Super. So we haven't done a, a stock analysis in, in a long time, um, our stock pick. And I did my, I, I got back writing my blog eventually, eventually got back writing. And I have three on my watch list for, for this month. I've got Snap-on, Stanley Black and & Decker and Intel. Okay, and, and pretty much everyone knows my thoughts on Intel anyway. But really Stanley Black & Decker has been on Twitter. I don't know, is it just me? But I've noticed everybody seems to be talking about this company a lot more. It's coming up a lot. People are buying it. They're talking about it a lot more. But when actually I compare both, both of them are in the same market. They're, they're direct competitors. Snap-on, which was alerted to us actually by our, our listeners here, Snap-on are a much, much better company in terms of revenue growth, free cash flow growth, um, debt, uh, debt on their balance sheet, which is basically zero. 
Um, it looks like a fantastic company. Um, I just compared the financials of of those in in my blog, and from that standpoint, Snap-on seem like a really solid company. So I'm going to spend next week going through actually all the annual reports, gather some more data, see what their growth drivers are, what their management like. Uh, but honestly, they look they look like a really, really good company. Or fair value, they, they, for me, they're trading around fair value price. That's my only concern with, with this company is, is the price of them. But I'm not going to be too biased yet. I want to wait until I finish my, my full analysis. But definitely a company I think people should should look at. It was highlighted to us here. We, we dismissed it. We were told off, and then we looked at them again. But the more I look at them, they are on my watch list behind me. But I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting close to to buy in this company they look really really good nice one and I, I would agree with you i did a video actually about it if you're interested like uh three different stocks for real men and snap on and how is it the uh, black and decker and illinois tools works are both on yes. there compared yeah. and snap on the definitely the best and yeah. i love their pristine balance sheet it's it's just amazing i i i, I couldn't i couldn't get over it and i was i was because I've seen Stanley Black and Decker pop up so much, and we see this on Twitter every so often. You see companies. It was AT and T for a while. We did see Intel for a while. We see all these companies, and and let's be honest, they're not always high quality companies. It seems like there's some influencers out there that will will say stock, and then it it trickles down, and everybody throws these names about as if they're, they're top quality. And I know Stanley Black and Decker have a superior uh, dividend history. They've been paying it for longer, but man, that balance sheet, I can't. I can't look past that balance sheet. It's 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 really something looking at, particularly in this in in this environment. And we're starting to see interest rates go up. We know people with bigger debt is going to struggle. We look at interest, don't we? Interest coverage is one exactly. of our metrics. And exactly. We're going, start, we're going to start to see that. And um, just yeah, just look at Snap-on's balance sheet. That's that's what I say. If you're looking for some porn this weekend, open up the balance sheet. Just look at it and then thank me later. <laughs> Good, good, good. Hey, and with that, it's a nice ending of the show. Thank you so much again for, for this lovely show. And listeners, see you all next week again. See you on the outside.